So one week ago, I took you into a trip to the future with Xin and Huang, who shown us the possibility of using AI in fire science and technology. And today I'm going to take you a little bit back to the past, to the golden age of fire safety, when some of the most magnificent tools were created. And one of these tools is definitely a zone model. I personally rank the development of compartment fire modeling and zone models as a computational counterpart of that theory uh, as one of the biggest achievements of the fire science ever, which, which opened the doors to developing new practical solutions, technologies, made us able to understand how fires behave in buildings. And once we've learned that, we could work with that and, and start designing buildings safer. But I, I really hope it's not just a trip to the past, to the origins of the zone modeling. I hope it's also going to open your eyes for the future use of these tools. My today's guest, Dr. Colleen Wade, and when we were emailing about this episode, she, she asked me a question, do I think that zone modeling is dead? And my answer was, uh, I certainly hope that after this podcast, it will not be dead. And uh, myself, I'm a user of, of a zone model. I'm actually using B-Risk model developed by Colleen. And uh, I know how powerful it is. And it's such a shame that most of the fire scientists or engineers do not realize these capabilities and do not use it in, in everyday engineering. It could be related to the fact that we are maybe not taught zone modeling as much as we would be in 90s or 80s. Maybe um, some of us are not even aware that such a powerful tool exists. As Professor Rain mentioned in episode 2, um, some of the PhD students or postdocs figure out the fire science exists one day before they apply for the position. So there are many among us who have not went through the full course of fire safety engineering. So may have, maybe have never seen these models and they're definitely powerful. Um, before I jump into the episode for listeners who may not be aware what zone modeling is and how this model works, there's plenty of resources, which I'm I'll link in the show notes, but basically a zone model is a way to solve a fire problem in within a compartment by dividing this compartment into zones. One of the zones would be the smoke underneath the ceiling. The other zone would be the cold gases underneath the smoke zone. The fire plume may be uh, considered as a separate zone as well. This is why it's called zone modeling. And we basically uh, track the shape of these zones, track the amount of smoke and energy in each of them, solve for transport between them. And with this, we can quite reasonably capture the evolution of the fire within the compartment. So yeah, that's the basics. And if you, if you stay here and listen to the rest of the episode, you're going to know a lot more about zone modeling. So let's spin the intro and jump into the episode. Welcome to the Fire Science Show. My name is Wojciech Wigzinski, and I will be your host. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Fire Science Show. Today, I'm here with Dr. Colleen Wade from the Fire Research Group in New Zealand. Hello, Colleen. Hi, Wojciech. Thank you very much for the invitation today. Well, no, no. Thank you very much for coming. It's I'm, I'm much appreciated that you found some, some time in your morning. And Colleen is an expert on zone modeling, and that's a, that's a fascinating technique used, used in, in fire science. In the podcast so far, I had CFD experts, I had artificial intelligence experts, I had experts on, on all the new... Uh, Things and toys we use uh, to solve for fire issues, but but zone modeling is something from a, a different time in, in in fire science, and I, I don't mean from a worse time. Maybe it was actually a better time for for, the, for being a fire scientist. And I'm myself. I'm a zone model user, and I would love to hear from you, Colleen. H how was it like? I don't know, 20 years ago or 15 years ago, when CFD was not so overwhelmingly uh, abused over the world and, and when zonals were the tools? Um, you know, when I first got involved, perhaps I'll just go back a, a, a little bit. Um, you know, I, I first got 
involved in, in sort of zone modeling um, sort of way back when I was, even before I did my master's degree. So my undergraduate um, qualifications were in building science and um, I was sort of coming to, toward the end of that and didn't really know much much about fire at all. And I discovered the fire safety journal in the um, in the library. And I kind of thought, you know what, and kind of started flicking through some of the papers in there and thought, you know, this is really kind of interesting um, sort of stuff in here. And in particular, there was mm-hmm. one paper that kind of really inspired me. And it was, um, I think it was 1984. It was written by Len Cooper. And it was all about kind of smoke movement and smoke filling and compartments and they had these really neat line drawings just showing the the smoke filling process and the fire dynamics and I kind of found that really um, inspirational. Um, Applied for a job as a kind of fire science um, or fire research scientist at um, Building Research um, Association in, in New Zealand and then kind of got involved in you know in some of the um sort of modeling aspects and the tools and that at the same time that was when all you know there's a big push towards performance-based codes um kind of the new world of fire safety engineering you know previously there was a lot of um prescriptive use of prescriptive documents um and a real desire for people to start to apply some science and engineering um, to that. And I think some of the first tools um, in doing that, um, you know, was, was simple kind of zone models. And, and so, you know, you can go right back to the late 1980s, you know, the development of the Harvard Code, and then NIST or National Bureau of Standards, as they were time got really kind of involved and did some some really good good work so you know starting with kind of you know the a set b kind of model and then into the fast and c fast and I, I kind of got involved in you know looking at some of the early fire models you know the hazard one code at, at NIST which in a way was possibly a little ahead of its time because it, it was doing toxicology calculations and it had sort of a simple egress model in it you know the sorts of things that you know we still want to do today but yes so they did some fantastic work I got involved at that point as, as kind of an interested user and then a little bit further down the track I actually got involved with kind of developing a zone model and, and that really happened when I sort of went off and did a master's degree. I did that at uh, Worcester Polytech, which was, you know, really, you know, at the time there were very few places where you could, you know, you could do graduate study, you know, specifically in, in kind of fire. And um, one of the student projects that, that at the time Jonathan Barnett was teaching the fire dynamics, um, one of the projects that you know he, he would put to the students was to, every, everyone needed to write their own zone model. So write your own zone model. <laughs> write, write your own. You know, this is, that was this kind of the mid-year or the mid-term exam. <laughs> wow. Um, and so some people did it in, um, you know, just kind of did simple kind of spreadsheet versions, just solving some some differential equations. Um, I kind of decided, oh, you know, I was kind of interested in uh, playing around with some visual basic programming so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go in, in visual basic and it all really just grew um grew from there wow that's fascinating I, I can imagine the faces of my students if i told them for the graduation they have to write a zone model that would uh, I, I don't know how much uh, assassination costs nowadays but <laughs> i'm pretty sure <laughs> they would they would pay the sum that's that's brilliant and I think the paper you've mentioned uh, of Cooper in 1984, I think I recollect that paper. And uh, wasn't it like one of the first ones where ACET, RSET concepts were uh, like explained and then shown in a function of time? It, it could have been because I, I mm-hmm. recognize the name and the, the year. So I'll actually, I'll try to do my digging and maybe I'll find it out and I'll pop it in the show notes. That's going to be a, a nice trip down uh, memory lane. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very good paper. And then, um, you know, NIST really kind of took up the mantle, particularly during the 1990s, and, and also Len, Len Cooper again, you know, with um, almost kind of writing sub-models for 
the vent flows, um, both the horizontal vent flows and then the vertical vent mm-hmm. flows. Um, and they did it in a really nice way that, you know, I kind of don't think I did anything particularly kind mm-hmm. of original. What I ended up doing was kind of developing a core zone model but then I would take work that others, you know, had done. And, and, and you know, the work that NIST was really kind of very influential and done in such a way that they kind of made it easier to kind of understand the submodel. And then, you know, my job was kind kind of to combine, you know, a couple models together mm-hmm. so that, you know, it could work with his own model. Since there's uh, different listeners uh, to, the, to the podcast and not all of them are fire scientists, let, let, let's talk about in, in principle what, what zone models are. From my understanding, uh, a zone model is a way to solve uh, like energy and mass balance in a compartment fire where you subdivide it into like two layers. One with the smoke and one without. That that's how I was taught. Uh, is, is this a correct like a simplification of a zone model? Yeah. So I mean that that's pretty much it. You, you know, you've got your room. You're dividing it into a couple of control volumes, and you're trying to keep track of the mass and the energy which flows both sort of into and out of each of those control volumes. So typically with the a zone model, you you know, the user needs to define um, the fire source. Um, so in, in terms of, usually that's done in terms of a heat release rate, um, but also, you know, mass loss, mass loss rate. Mm. And, and then you're combining that with, um, I guess, empirical correlations. So, you know, the plume flow, you need to, you know, how much air is going to be entrained into the plume because that's going into the, the upper layer control volume. Um, then with the vent flows, as I kind of mentioned, you know, got submodels for working out what, what the mass flows are sort of into and out of the, the vents. And then there's the, um, the heat transfer component. So there's the enthalpy um, flows, which accompany the vent flows, but there's also the convection and, and, and conduction into the boundary surfaces. So there's heat losses. So that really that at its simplest, at simplest level is um, kind of the zone model. Um, and then there's ways to expand on that by adding additional rooms. I feel horrible now because I think the easiest way to explain it to someone who has never used the zone model is to say, like in CFD, you divide your space into lots of tiny <laughs> cells and you solve all the equations for every tiny cell in your model. And yeah. in zone model, you basically have large cells one of them is the smoke the other one is fire the third one is the rest of the room and they just change their sizes as the flows come on come in come out and you keep the track of how much air and energy is in each of them yeah but i feel horrible because i i had to start with cfd because that's probably more understood by modern engineers and it, it maybe should not be You've mentioned that uh, you add empirical correlations, and I think here is where the, the true power of, of zone modeling comes in, into play. Because if you start adding complexities to CFD, it, it becomes like very difficult, time-consuming, uh, and very money-consuming because of the complexity. While in zone model, calculations take roughly seconds, maybe minutes of time. So even if you triple the number of equations you solve for, it's not a big mm. big deal. And then um, you said empirical. So it means you take experiments, observe, try to figure out what happened in the experiment and then implement it in this already like solved uh, set of equations for a compart. Can you give examples of, of, of such models? Um, well, uh, an obvious one is or one of the, I guess, the original or the early um, submodels that, that found their way into a zone model is, is the ceiling jet. Um, okay. Of course, that's the precursor to calculations of sprinkler and heat detector response times. Um, originally, you know, just something like, the, you know, Alpert's correlation for the unconfined mm-hmm. ceiling jet, that in there, and, and then add another differential equation to um, to calculate the temperature rise and the um, whatever the detector or the sprinkler sensing mm-hmm. element is. Um, and then further down the track, um, you know, you can build on that because you don't really have an unconfined ceiling jet. It's, it's confined, it's sitting uh, within a room in which you've got a developing hot layer. And so again, you know, I go back to NIST and, and I think it was Bill Davis who did, um, you know, developed a related model called JET, which took into account the heating of the sprinkler bulb, for example, by a hot layer. And so obviously it kind of speeds up, the reduces the activation time a little mm-hmm. bit. So kind of included that as a, another option just to 
get a slightly better sort of calculation of, of response times. Um, but lots of possibilities. Some of the other things, um, and, and most of this work, you know, that, that was really all done, you know, while I was working at, at building research. And we had, you know, good relationship with um, the University of Canterbury who were building their mm. um, fire engineering um, program. And they had um, students looking for projects to do. And so various students worked on different parts of the, what we had called the Brands fire model at, at that point. Mm. Things like um, calculating or a sub-model for glass fracture. Okay. Those was one of the early ones that was added. Um, for Michael Speedpoint being a supervisor on, on that project. Um, there were others like the inclusion of spill plumes, for example, which was kind of very... Oh, practical. yeah, yeah. That, that's the ones I used in my <laughs> in my PhD. <laughs> yep. I, I really appreciate you've put it in the in the Brands Fire because it made me uh, able to, to use them in, in my work. Yep. Again, you know, that, that was work that Roger Harrison did um, as part of his PhD. And again, I, I just kind of became the one who uh, connected the two models or the sub-model yeah. with his own model, you know, provided, you know, a lot more capability in terms of predicting balcony spill plumes or adhered spill plumes. And that's all kind of usable in, in the model. Rogers Harrison's uh, thesis and research on spill plumes mm -hmm. was literally the thing that uh, made me change the, the course of my career from engineering to a scientist. So I owe him a, a keg of beer at least. And he knows that. <laughs> so it, it, the transaction will happen as, as soon as COVID goes away. Um, yeah. When we were um, exchanging emails, you've also mentioned the, the models for fire spread. And this seemed like really interesting because um, introducing like fire spread in CFD is sometimes quite difficult. Depends on what, what model you use. And uh, you, you've mentioned that was your master thesis or something. How, how did you work that out? In, in, in... So I mentioned the midterm exam, mm, so yeah. writing the zone model. So the next thing I needed to do was find a, a thesis topic for my master's. Mm. Um, and again, Jonathan Barnett pointed me in the direction of some work that had been done by Bjorn Carlson and also mm. um, Jim Quinteri. And both of those guys had um, kind of looked at a thermal flame spread model for combustible linings mm -hmm. and again you know really good job in terms of kind of how they kind of explained and, and wrote up the models and, and again in a way that I could kind of pick up and translate into kind of a, a sub-model for the, the zone model and and so this is very much around trying to predict ignition flame spread and the amount of heat that would be released from you know, combustible lining material back into the room. So I was kind of interested in being able to add that. You know, you've got your contents burning in your room, mm -hmm. so that's kind of a source term in your zone model. But I wanted to add in the um, contribution from, from the lining materials. And so most of the work was really focused on actually trying to model the, the room corner test, the ISO 9705 oh, yeah, okay. test. Um, so, you know, had a very specific geometry of a burner in the, in the corner of the room. And the approach, and obviously kind of the, the, the hard bit is, you know, what's the burning rate of the combustible lining because that depends on what the material is and um, mm -hmm. what the heat flux, the surface is and all those kind of things. Um, and it was a, kind of took a very simple approach, which was to say, let's just characterize the material using cone calorimeter data. So we know at different heat fluxes, we know what that heat release rate per unit area curve looks like. Um, and if we have that data at different heat fluxes, then we can kind of use that as a bit of a database and then just kind mm -hmm. of interpolate and look up depending on what the heat flux is at any particular time in the model and the period of time that um, the material's been burning. So the model was really just about including some ignition calculation of when we based on the, um, the heat output of the burner and then, you know, again, add in another couple of differential equations for the um, upward flame spread, for the um, lateral flame spread, actually calculate at any particular time what is the area that we expect to be burning on the surface of the material. And we know that area. And mm -hmm. from our own data, we know the heat release rate per unit area. So we can make an estimate of actually what is the heat being added back into the, the room. And then that gets added back into the, the zone model in terms of heat transfer. 
and in a way that kind of simulates the, the kind of heating, the preheating process of the, like for example, the ceiling lining as the hot layer builds up. So that, that was, and that really sort of became the, the essence of what I did for the master's thesis was to really integrate those thermal flame spread equations into the zone model so that we could do predictions of um, the, the rim core test, for example. Um, and I guess most of the validation is focused on that particular configuration and scenario. But in principle, you know, the calculations could then, they can still be done if you change the ventilation to the room, or you change mm-hmm. the dimensions a little bit, or you change the heat, heat output of the fire source. Um, just the downside was that to, to do it well, you needed um, quite a bit of cone data. And that, that one's very difficult to generalize, like uh, to, to make it universal yes, from, from, from a small number of samples. Like you mentioned, you need a lot yeah. of them to, to have uh, truly worked out the material. Yeah. And, if you're only and, interested in the results of the rim corner test, it would be much cheaper just to go and do the rim corner of course. test. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. calorimeter tests, yeah. That's, that's true. Um, and this, like... Uh, like if you propose this research today, it would get funded because today we're living in the time where mass timber is a question: can we use it? Can we not use it in 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 buildings? And I know your your PhD was also on this topic, and you've also used uh, zone modeling uh, in 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 this. C- can you make a big jump from the master thesis into into PhD in mass timber? Or <laughs> so the the master's work was very much focused on that pre flashover period. And the, the okay. fire growth and the hazards associated with that. So then, you know, much further down the track, I decided I, you know, I'd quite like to do a PhD as well. And the whole field of um, interest in mass timber was continuing to increase. You know, the, the low carbon credentials, the yep. kind of the aesthetic appeal of being able to expose timber structure, the desire to build bigger and taller mass timber buildings. Um, and I, I had been for some time uh, sort of just working um, again with the zone model and, and more of a post-flashover capability, um, mainly just representing fire source in the forms of kind of wood cribs and using correlations mm-hmm. to kind of describe the paralysis of the cribs. And then, so I guess for the PhD, then I you know was thinking, you know, how do we you know, can we do a better job in terms of counting for the contribution that exposed timber surface would have to the post-flashover fire? Um, and that was where this kind of beginning of, of that. So it was similar to what we'd done before, but it was a kind of a diff- different approach as well. But, but again, you take uh, empirical studies, uh, known known science, uh, and implement it into the code and, uh, and just fine-tune it until it works and instead of like... Solving for weeks on on, on CFD code, I, I I truly admire this, this approach, and uh, I think zone models have proven to be very capable of like growing with the scientists um, by by the ability to add this. Uh, particular submodels, replace them as you have a better ones, and uh, and improve the overall model. And because it's it's a zone model. You spend less time developing like data transfer techniques and saving uh, data to your hard drives. You don't have all these issues, these computational issues that have to be really, really worked out in in, in CFD modeling. What, from my perspective, I'm I'm a user of Ansys uh, Fluent, and that's a little different uh, software than most of people in Fire would be using. And we have this whole Let's say array of submodels that can be turned on and off as as you wish, but uh, we we have this because it was developed for um, like general use by I don't know wind turbine companies or aerodynamics companies, and we just use a tiny fraction of, of it. Most people are using let's say FDS. They they rely on what has been put into the software by NIST, and NIST is obviously limited by by a number of people that, that, that can work on this project uh, in their time in, in the office. And uh, even if you have a hundred great ideas how to improve uh, FDS, it's, it's very unlikely they all or most of them will be implemented because it will be very time consuming to not only solve the physics, but also solve the computational part and how they will influence the, um, the basic ability of FDS to, to calculate. And in zone models, uh, 
I have never developed a zone model <laughs> on my own. Maybe I should have gotten a, a mid-track uh, assignment to do that, but uh, I assume it, it's probably easier to to fiddle with the code and and just change the equations a bit. And uh... yes, for sure, um, it did get a little bit complicated with um, you know with the mass timber model because okay, <laughs> I'd like to say it was all very simple. Um, but I guess one of the differences there was that it was suggested to me by, um, by Danny Hopkin, who, who sort of pointed me in the direction of kind of a kinetic um, pyrolysis mm. model. So um, this was kind of a, you know, might think, well, is that almost too complicated for a, a zone model? But we did kind of, you know, we did get it working. So what we're doing here really is separating, looking specifically at, at wood products and separate, separating out the individual constituents, you know, the hemicellulose, mm-hmm. the cellulose and the lignin, and then also accounting for the moisture and, and include equations to describe the, the decomposition of those, you know, as a function of the temperature within the... So that was kind of at one level of extreme. So, you know, I, I played around with a, di- a few different sort of types of um, model um, for the mass timber. I mean, the very simplest one really was just to treat a solid as a, you know, just, just to look at the heat conduction um, into the, the solid and then just to use the, the old kind of 300-degree isotherm mm-hmm. and the char. Okay. And as the simulation proceeded, you just kind of take that char, add it back to the fuel in the room, which kind of extends the, the duration. Okay. So that was the very simplest one, but that has much more limitation in terms of perhaps the accuracy of what's going on, that depth, and the, in terms of pros and charring process. It, it, it worked quite well in terms of predicting um, maybe you know the gas phase and the gas temperatures in the compartment. It was a bit more challenging in terms of accurate, you know, being able to get a better estimate of the, um, the char depth. And so that's where the kinetic model did a better job of that. But even so, you know, there's, there's still lots of limitations in terms of not really not being able to describe all of the um, physics to a, an appropriate level, you know, some of the oxidation effects and things which went. So even given all of that, the zone model still gives you some ability to include some calibration. So, you know, mm-hmm. you get around that in terms of producing something which is usable potentially by industry. And, you know, I've always very, been very keen on you know doing research you know which doesn't just sit on a shelf in a report and 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 i guess that's why i keep coming back to the zone model has been just you know a very convenient way of um, incorporating research into something which you know is actually usable potentially usable by industry you are my my kind of scientist a very rare breed (laughs) to combine uh, science engineering in a way that it's it's useful yeah i I think that that that's the the best way to go and um with um these abilities to to um, add models and expand zone models when you look at them today you see very very powerful tools uh when you look at risk it's a, it's a powerful tool for multiparametric analysis and probabilistic studies you look at the cfest it's a complete package for like compartment fire dynamics and yet, um, if you jump into the world of engineering companies of everyday fire sa- safety engineers, I would doubt that many of them would be using these tools on not even daily basis, but e- even on a weekly or monthly basis. Uh, I-, I think there are far more complex and far less useful uh, tools being used um, every day. So uh, I wonder if you if you could like uh, maybe not advertise, but if you could give a a good piece of an advice to a young engineer that just came to their office uh, on the first day, why they should invest time uh, to learn zone modeling and, and try to use them in, in their practice. No, I would say there's not one tool, you know, to, mm. there's not one tool that's going to do everything on every job. So, you know, the engineer needs to have a toolkit of, um, you know, of, of different models, um, you know, to, to use in, in, you know, for different applications. Um, sometimes a, a zone model is all you need. Other times you really do, do need to go that extra step and do the CFD. Sometimes you might, um, you know, if you think about the uncertainty in, in fires, you know, you can spend a whole lot of time doing a very detailed um, CFD calculation um, and you really, you know, really get drawn into the precision of the, the output. When you go back and look at the input and say, oh, you know, within, you know, 20, 30, 40%, <laughs> you know, so, so there's uncertainty at one end. Um, so I think, you know, you've got to um, 
kind of look at that. And I think this is where potentially the power of some of the probabilistic um, capability in, 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 in is where zone models could really shine in the you know in the future. Because if you do have you know, a finite amount of computing resource, is it better to put all of that into a few CFD models? Or, you know, maybe you could do hundreds and thousands of zone models that give you a, maybe a much better understanding of what some of the uncertainty, both in the input and the output. One of the other things that I we should mention with the, the zone model when it starts, you know, it, it was when the development of risk in, in more recent times and the risk was really a desire to include some more Monte Carlo and probabilistic capability but another um, another part of that was looking at something we called a, a design fire generator um, this was something that my colleague Greg Baker worked on as um, part of his PhD but the idea was to be able to have multiple fuel packages or pieces of furniture um, sort of in your room or, or your space, be able to assign them with different kind of ignition properties and be able to kind of randomly sort of locate them within the room and then kind of look at the potential for fire spread from one to another. And so what we were able to do was to be able to run some Monte Carlo simulations whereby you have a certain number of items. Each simulation, you just randomly put them in a different location um, you could either just have the same item igniting or you could randomly choose that. And doing that sort of gave you a whole, it gives you a whole family of possible heat release rate curves. It's not just kind of one curve. Um, and it kind of just shows the, you know, this potential, you know, just for the same room, same ventilation, same set of furniture items, you can still get a whole range of design fire scenarios. It hasn't been used a great deal, but perhaps I'll mention one of the um, sort of more recent um, uses of it, which was it was something that um, Antonio Sassioni from the University of Stellenbosch um, approached me some time ago, and he he was um, doing work in the area of informed settlement dwelling fires, you know, which is a, a pretty big. Problem. I understand there's at least I think five thousand fires uh, of that sort a year just uh, just in South Africa alone. So, and um, he had this idea of being able to develop some kind of screening tool, being able to kind of simulate how fire might spread in that environment. And he was interested in using B-Risk to do that. Well, but actually he wasn't really thinking about his own model. He was thinking about how he could use this um, design. By generator to look at potential spread from one dwelling unit to another. A zone model minus the upper layer. <laughs> yeah, so it's a zone model with a very big room and, and very well and very, conditions. So, very, very well. Okay, yeah. So you're really just focusing on the, the fire spread capability. Okay. But it, it worked, you know, I think it worked surprisingly well. You know, he, he was able to include things like um, maybe looking at wind direction and, and wind strength. And again, kind of adding a correlation that includes some tilt on the um, basic fire plume. And then the, the fire spread between items was sort of mainly done using um, just simple point source radiation model. You know, and, you know, it, uh, in my view, it kind of actually did a really good job and it certainly worked a bit better than um I might have thought. You're really shaming me here because at some point Antonio did uh, re reach out to us uh, because he was interested uh, in wind and uh, how wind affects the spread between settlements. And we, we've approached it with a good old CFD and we, we've played a lot at, uh, with Antonio with, with the wind and, and fire. Uh, comparing to, to his um, field experiments. I think at the end we've eventually... Uh, made it to uh, simulations that roughly represent the experimental conditions and can capture the transition between the, these uh, settlements. But this, this calculations take like week uh, to complete and there, you really have to invest a lot of resources to just capture the, 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 the moment of, of the flame spread. And when you say in, in B-Risk, you can just define the inputs as uh, a range of, of values or range of items that are in the in the room with their individual characteristics that I assume also can be ranges uh, mm -hmm. and uh, then just run a 10,000 Monte Carlo simulations to get all the potential outcomes 
I think I've played with that capability of Beerusk at some point, and I remember it was giving me like um, 97% of cases you did not get to flash over, in 3% you got to flash over. The maximum temperature over these all simulations was, I don't know, this value, and in like 80th percentile, it was this value. I, I found it like really, uh, for a such a, okay, a simple tool, I, I'm, I don't want to downplay the complexity and the effort put into developing this tool but in 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 the fire engineer toolbox it is it would be considered a simple tool and yet it is so uh so powerful um you're working in new zealand now and new zealand is i'm right right <laughs> you're in new zealand okay so so new zealand is this uh this beautiful place on earth when you had a very early performance based engineering and you were ahead of most of us is um Beerus, because Beerisk also has some modules that are specific to your uh, verification method and uh, is it really a tool that is being used by engineers or or not so much as well um Beerisk is being um used and I guess it's um, certainly partly a result of the verification method, which is kind of mm. one of the, the methods that fire engineers can use to demonstrate compliance. So that, that verification method has a number of uh, kind of design fire scenarios and some kind of defined design fire characteristics. So just in order to uh, make those um, calculations a little bit easier and a bit more streamlined for the um, engineer, there's a what we call a VM2 um, mode and mm-hmm. um, B risk, which really just sets some of the default values, particularly around the designed fire, um, and re- perhaps sort of disable some of the um, submodels which are, are not sort of applicable to the, the verification method. So it was just to make things a little bit easier. Um, the downside of that, I think, is that probabilistic side doesn't get. Um, perhaps used um, as much as it might. And, and I think, you know, the future really is, um, you know, to make much better use of the power that you can have by doing Monte Carlo and kind of looking at the probabilistic aspects and just trying to, un, you know, quantify some of the uncertainty in that. And, you know, for me, that's definitely where the future in, in zone modelling is. On the one hand, the other, um, I think, great opportunity is to couple it with, you know, with egress models, you know, so for example, um, you know, if we could have the fire model talking to the egress model um, and then doing the toxicity calculations, we can now start to get a, a much more useful probabilistic picture. Um, and that, that was kind of our target, that's ambition in developing B risk to, to kind of get away from just thinking about, you know, single kind of deterministic calculations and starting to look at what can we uh, generate in terms of trying to understand the the actual risk. So that's really the the, the kind of big thing I sort of hope would happen at some point, you know, sometime in the not too distant future is that we can have zone models and egress models kind of working seamlessly together and being able to do thousands of, of simulations and generating you know probabilistic curves of um, the resulting safety you're kind of reading my mind oh. because that was the next thing i wanted to ask you <laughs> and and that was not on the on the script i have sent you so i'm i'm truly amazed with this ability uh, and um for the um, for this question why i have asked it is that um in poland i i had these cases where Zone models was employed in in a fire research project or fire engineering project. It was downplayed by the authorities that it may not be like I don't know accurate enough. Or I, I think what they've meant is it was not impressive enough as as CFD is because we sometimes go into this complex modeling because it gives you an impression that it is very advanced and uh, because it is advanced it must be better, right? And uh, that's absolutely not the case when you when you understand the compartmentifying dynamics and how it works. And you can obviously see that for many, many cases, zone model would be a much, much better choice than a CFD model. And it, it makes me happy that, well, if you have a proper legislation and if the legal system in a country is set in a way that allows for certain tools to be used, like you have this verification method that allows you for using uh, zone models and Burisk is, is crafted to fit within that framework, then it gets used and then people don't waste time, people don't waste money. Authorities don't worry if this is uh, advanced enough or, or like shiny enough. It, it, it just is accepted and th- that makes me very happy. 
And the other thing you've said about the multi-parametric analysis and probabilistic approach, this is also very, very powerful because today, if you approach uh, engineering project, for example, you have to design a small control in the shopping mall. I don't know if you do 10 simulations, 20, maybe 30. 30 CFD simulations for a single building will already be a craziness and then that would cost a lot of money. And obviously zone models may, may not have the ability to simulate such big buildings yet because of the limits related to the the fact there must be zones for a zone model to work. <laughs> there obviously are limits. But... Uh, for, for for some aspects like individual shopping units and and parts of the building like corridors maybe zone model would be perfectly fine and then just use uh, then just use CFD for spill plumes or, or something. I mean, yeah, it sounds like. Uh, and then with zone model you could do hundreds of these simulations, thousands of these simulations. Use the design uh, fire um, generator to generate uh, hundreds of design fires like talk about this in terms of probabilities to talk about risk like the true risk not just the perceived value of, of of risk based on the fact if you have met visibility in this one scenario or not it's not a it's not an indication of a safety in the whole building if in one particular scenario your visibility was 11 meters meters so it's good here here what you're touching is a like a truly holistic view on on how fire can develop in a building and what can be outcomes of, of thousands of fires. And the last thing that you've mentioned, the coupling evacuation with the probabilistic simulations, that's like some kind of ultimate tool for fire engineering. If if this was like available, it is available in a way. Mm. I think you can make it work. I know my, my, my colleague, uh, Adam Krasuski is developing his touch on 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 coupling uh, CFAST with with I think his custom made evacuation model, and I know there are efforts like that ongoing in the world. So eventually, we'll have a very good and 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 useful tool to couple evacuation to zone modeling, and yeah, then then you can go with uh, fractional effective doses and stuff like that to truly capture if if people are endangered in the building or not. It's it's a whole new world that opens. Because these tools get constantly better, and the project uh, there only is that I mentioned earlier the the Hazard One software right back in the early yeah. you know the, the original MIST um, tool which had the egress in there and had the toxicity in there and it was kind of the maybe it was ahead of its time you know it didn't have the Monte Carlo but kind of see we're almost going around in a full circle. It's just a shame it's taken us so long to... You know, it's uh, through this discussion, you've mentioned so many things you've done with zone models or people have done with zone models. I see like every every this idea you pitch, if you wrote a grant today and just replace the world zone model with like CFD code, it would like that would be a powerful grant. And uh, I, I like I really feel horrible within this interview because I'm I'm a CFD engineer and that's what all of my colleagues use. That's what my generation uses. And behind the wall, there's uh, this this super powerful, very cheap, uh, fairly easy to learn tool that has such a powerful capabilities. And uh, it's uh, it's such a shame you don't see that uh, used in everyday engineering. Maybe maybe after this episode, uh, there will be some fire engineers that discovered zone modeling and and the beauty of it and i certainly recommend uh, downloading b-risk it's it's free and available and uh, has great uh, technical documentation that will get you through actually if you do that just poke me on on linkedin or twitter and tell me if you that you used it and that you, that you love it if you don't like it don't <laughs> tell me but <laughs> if you love it tell me and i'll take tell colleen and we'll be very very happy yeah both sure. so uh do you think there's a future for zone models in our field um i certainly do think there's a future and it, you know as i said just requires people to you know just kind of look at the whole suite of, of tools that they have available to them to them to, to solve problems and zone models are very much one of those tools and um, I don't see them going away anytime soon I hope not I'm, I hope not as well I, I mean B-Risk is still uh, being developed I know CFAST is maintained yep. so that's pretty good so that, that I mean the more users there are the more questions there are asked to the developers of these uh, programs yeah 
and the more incentive there is to keep on developing and maintaining these kind of codes. Yeah. Uh, also, one thing that I, I, I forgot to ask you, I've also know about these efforts by by Niels Johansson, who's uh, going into multi-zone modeling, where he divides the compartment not into a single smoke layer, but into like number of smaller control volumes, and he again solves the the mass and energy balance between them. The, the the bonus is that you don't have one single homogeneous smoke layer in spanning over your whole compartment, but you can have some like temperature. Uh, or flow gradients in, in the sorry velocity gradients in, inside the layer. I mean, uh, from your experience with zone models, uh, was it something that was coming in and out of, of zone models? Because I, I I I think I've heard about similar concepts like 15 years ago. Yes, I think um, there's some researchers in Japan who had done something similar. And again, I think that's a great idea. It fills a gap between you know the very simple two zone and and CFD, which will just kind of just gives you a bit more capability, you know, and maybe that could have um, good application for, um, you know, s- smoke filling and maybe just larger industrial warehouse kind of spaces where maybe the zone model was just, you know, that the rooms are getting a little bit too large or, and you just or you just want a little bit more great um, resolution of the bacterial variation from one at one end to the other. So I think that's a great, yeah, great development um, too. As we're talking, there are things going through my head. And uh, one of these thoughts is that uh, in our uh, modeling software in ANSYS, we have this um, capability to choose two different uh, turbulence models, like realizable K-Epsilon for like uh, most of the model, and it can change into LES if something like happens, like if you model a race car and there's a spoiler and you would like to solve the turbulence at the spoiler uh, with LES, it will solve it, but just in that region and the rest is solved in a very simplistic uh, turbulence model because you're basically solving the surroundings of the of the car. And it's called scale adaptive simulation. I was wondering if if one could couple like a CFD and, and zone model in a way that uh, the compartment is modeled with the zone model, and when you hit an obstacle or where you hit a very like complex geometry, a mall, a part of a car park that's complex, then you, you switch into CFD to solve that difficult part, mm-hmm. and then maybe go back <laughs> to a zone model in the in the rest of the building. That would certainly be uh that would that could be interesting if we, if we got the best of of both worlds in in one that's model. right maybe that's going to be I'm the pretty future. sure it's, it's possible yeah. on the other hand you could just implement like zone model as a part of a bigger cfd code and uh, just use it as as a boundary boundary mm. condition generator right and uh, just so- solve the, the the compartment and get the mass flow in mass flow out pop it in on an inlet in your cfd code Actually, we maybe tried that. <laughs> we may try that with the answers. It's possible to program stuff like that in answers. That that could be, that could be actually very interesting. I'm, I'm gonna try. It. I'm gonna find a, a student and give him a midterm assignment to write a, <laughs> a zone model for my for my answers code. Um, okay. Um, yeah, I I think we're reaching the the time limits. I, I wanted to talk with you about the design fires, but the, the zone model discussion was already so interesting i there's no need to <laughs> to subdivide into second topic and if i had to do it again i would do it again on the zone models <laughs> that that was uh, that was really good so um colleen uh thank you very much for coming to the to the podcast and i hope you enjoyed I that did, and thank you very much for inviting me again yes i really appreciate it it was great mm-hmm. talking to you and i i hope there if we can find at least one engineer that <laughs> gets into the world of zone modeling after this podcast i think we have accomplished a, a mission and yeah i i really hope for that thank you so much for being here and yeah all the best see you around thank you very much yep so that's it <laughs> what a great talk it was with Colleen. Uh, she really makes it look easy when she says she just added this model, this model, this model into a zone model, which she has actually written. And trust me, it's, it's uh, much more difficult than than it sounded to develop this, this type of tools. But I also think we can consider this as a testimony to how powerful the zone modeling is. 
if a single person or a small group of people can develop such a powerful software and on top of the compartment fire dynamics framework fit all the additional submodels like flame spread, pyrolysis, and the role of mass timber in, in, in the compartment fire, or, or this super powerful model for subsequent uh, item ignition to develop custom-based design fires, it truly shows the endless possibilities within zone modeling which if you wanted to implement in like CFD tools, I mean, that would be quite, quite challenging. If you have never played with the zone model, I absolutely urge you to go to Brand's Fireside and download the BeRisk model, which Colleen um, had a significant part in developing of. Um, BeRisk is, is a fantastic model. It has um, great probabilistic capabilities, Monte Carlo simulations, which allow you to look on the on the fire in a completely different way than, than we usually do with our CVD calculations, which are limited by the cost of the calculations usually. So yeah, that's that's your homework. If you if you have never um, used the zone model in your life, go download Pyrisk, play with it, and and see how powerful it is. It's, it's going to take you ten minutes to master the basics, and Pyrisk uh, has a really really well written user guide to to get you through that. So definitely, definitely worth your time to go and, and see how it works. And, and, and the final thought about zone modeling. Um, we as engineers, we have a toolbox. The toolbox has all the tools that we need to solve problems. And it's our role to pick a tool that's appropriate for a problem to be solved. And trust me, zone modeling or in general, compartment fire framework is, is a fantastic tool in this toolbox. And it's a tool that gives you answers, gives them quickly, gives you wide view over a problem. It will not generate fancy graphics. It will not generate beautiful plots that will amaze your, your stakeholders. Um, but it will generate you answers to your questions. And if you use it, well, if you use it smart, if you understand the limitations, you can truly master the strength of this tool. It allows you to do amazing things in seconds, like re- literally in seconds. So, yeah, be aware of that tool, be aware of the capabilities, try to learn it a bit and, and see if that can fit into your engineering routine and I hope it it will. I, I know it does because it fits in my routine and it's very useful for my uh, my my work in designing smoke control systems in buildings. And, and actually I, I use zone modeling to develop um custom fire experiments for my clients. And it's it's really useful to capture things like flashover and general heat transfer in, in within a compartment. So um, Colleen asked, is zone modeling dead? My answer is absolutely no. And I hope after this, it's more alive than ever. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And yeah, see you next Wednesday. Thank you. Fire Science Show. Thank you for listening and see you soon.